Please do have a seat. Very good evening to all of you. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And be great if you could turn in your Bibles back to page 887, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, we're up to there in our series on Daniel, and it's, it's really one of the pinnacles uh, of not only the book, but the whole of the Old Testament. There's an uh, outline, as usually, in the middle of the bulletins as well. Let's pray together. Almighty Father, you are the eternal, righteous, wise, and holy King of this universe. And as we consider your precious word this evening, which you have breathed out by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and eyes to see Jesus more clearly as your divine King who will conquer evil forever. We pray that you may strengthen our trust in him, that we may endure, come what may. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, are you prepared for persecution? Are you prepared for persecution? Uh, throughout history, God's people have, have found themselves uh, on the end of, of brutal persecution by the kingdoms of this world. Uh, in the Old Testament, God's, God's people are uh, enslaved and subject to brutal treatment by the Egyptians and the Assyrians and, and the Babylonians. Uh, Jesus himself uh, faces such treatment, falsely arrested by the religious authorities uh, and condemned to die on a Roman cross. That happened to the early church as, uh, as, as early uh, emperors like Nero gathered the Christians together, uh, fed them to the lions as, as the masses watched on. Happened in the Reformation as, uh, as the reformers who stood up for the truths of, of the gospel were burnt at the stake. And, and it happens today also as Christians are imprisoned, tortured, blacklisted, uh, deprived of their property, churches burnt down. Uh, put to the sword. Uh, I read somewhere, it's a, an estimate that since 1990, an average of 160,000 Christians are killed every year. And it's the same in the, in the secular West uh, as well. Society rages against anyone who will uh, stand up as a Christian and insist on the teachings of the Bible. And it's, and it's like that here in Malaysia as well as the, re the restrictions on, on being Christian become tighter and tighter with every passing year. And so our question this evening is this, are you ready for persecution? Well, what will help us to stand firm when that day comes? Uh, what will help us to endure? Uh, what will help us to, to not give up on our faith when everything else is, is against us? Well, Daniel 7 shows us that what we need when it all seems hopeless is, is a bigger perspective. See, in life we can too easily be focused on merely the present, all the difficulties around us, elections and economics and career disappointments and family disputes and let alone religious persecution. We can have a blinkered vision, only see what's right there in front of us. But it's when we stand back and see the big picture to see where things are going, that's when hope returns. Because the key to surviving uh, persecution or, or any other difficulty with, with faith 
and hope in God. That is to zoom out, to glimpse the end, when evil is overthrown, when God's kingdom triumphs. And that is the purpose of of Daniel's visions. Since we come to chapter 7, we we leave behind those familiar narratives of Daniel in the lion's den and and all of that. Uh, They've taught us so much about uh, the God uh, that we serve, the God who saves, the God who rules, the God who judges, the God who is worthy of our trust and allegiance. But as we come to these visions from chapter 7 onwards, uh, we zoom out to, to see the end. To see the the judgment of the world, the the triumph of God's people, and so that we might endure now whatever we might face with hope and trust in God. Well, let's uh, turn to this wonderful chapter, Daniel chapter 7, page 887. Uh, We're at point one, four beasts from the sea. Now, verse 1 tells us the vision is set in the first year of Belshazzar. Uh, It's more than 50 years since Daniel was first deported to Babylon and uh, maybe with a new king he's he's got hopes of of better things to come. But it will not be so. Instead he has this this terrifying vision, uh, verse 3, of four great beasts. Uh, Verse 3, four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one uh, another. Uh, these are beasts, are a, are, are a picture of creation uh, gone wrong, uh, disordered, rebellious, uh, kind of hybrid creatures, half man, half animal. And, and we're meant to re- recoil at, in horror as, we, as, we, as they're described for us. I mean, just picture this uh, first beast in verse 4. The first was, was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. Uh, this, uh, uh, these beasts are meant to remind us of what we saw in chapter 2. Here we have four beasts. Uh, chapter 2 we had a statue made of four kinds of materials. And so uh, this first beast, uh, like the golden head in chapter 2, is, is Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we read on that its, its wings are, are plucked off. It's, it's lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the, the mind of a man is given to it. It's, it's meant to remind us of chapter 4, where, uh, where Nebuchadnezzar in his pride was, was humbled by God. He went mad, became like a beast in the field, until he was restored in his mind and his kingdom. Here is beast number one, Babylon. We turn to the second beast, verse 5. Behold, Another beast, a a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. Uh, This is no teddy bear that you take to bed with you at night. Here is a a, a ferocious animal uh, with a ferocious appetite, ready to pounce. It's, It's raised up on one side. Maybe it's ready to strike. Or perhaps I think it's, it's hinting at its identity. Uh, see, I think it represents the Medo-Persian Empire, the, the Persians, the dominant uh, party, raised up over the Medes. Uh, it's got three ribs between its teeth. That's probably a reference to uh, its successful campaigns. They defeated the Babylonians before them, and the Egyptians and the Lydianites as well. Beast number two, 
the Medo-Persian Empire. And then the third beast, verse 6. After I, this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Uh, another strange beast, leopard with wings. I, I think it symbolizes its, its swift movement, its, its pouncing attack. It has four heads. We'll see later, four kings. Uh, once again, it's not hard to identify who we're talking about here. I see Greece, uh, led by Alexander the Great, uh, conquered the Medo-Persian Empire in, in just ten years. Uh, and upon his death at age 32, Alexander's empire was, was split into four heads, each ruled by one of his governors, by one of his generals. Uh, we also know it's Greece from the, what happens in the following chapter. See, in the following chapter we have a ram which uh, represents the Medo-Persian Empire and it's conquered by a goat. And we're told in chapter 8 verse 21, the goat is the king of Greece. So beast number one is Babylon. Beast number two, Medo-Persia. Beast number three, Greece. And then a fourth great beast, most terrifying of all. Now verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were from before it. And it had ten horns. Uh, it's meant to remind us of, uh, of, of the statue in chapter 2 with its, its iron uh, legs and toes. Here is the fourth and final kingdom before God's kingdom comes and fills the whole earth. Uh, it has ten horns. That's uh, five times more than any normal animal I've ever met. It's extraordinarily powerful. Uh, these horns, again later, will represent kings. Now we'll learn a lot more about this, uh, uh, this fourth kingdom uh, later and next week. But we see in verse 8 this little horn uh, comes up. It, it plucks up all that has come uh, before it. And we're told, verse 8, it has eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. It's a terrifying vision. Ominous indeed. And, and, and here it ends. It's a description of of world empires it is meant to inspire terror. Uh, here are these beasts ready to devour. Uh, a nightmare indeed for Daniel. Uh, I wonder if you've had that experience of a nightmare before and you just wake up in the middle of the night and you're, you're, you're sweating and you're so relieved it was just a dream. But not so for Daniel. This is, this is real. These beasts are real. And the point is, uh, if Daniel thought things were going to get better in the first year of Belshazzar, well, things are going to get a whole lot worse before they get better. Well, that all changes with the second vision. Uh, we're at point two, the heavenly court. Uh, verse 9 we read, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. That uh, Many thrones are laid out, but only one is occupied. 
the Ancient of Days. It's, it's clearly God. He's the, the Ancient of Days because he's eternal from, from everlasting to everlasting. You see, our kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Leaders rise, leaders fall. But he remains forever on the throne, alone. See, as terrifying as these beasts seem, he existed long before them, and he'll far outlive them all. We see his description in verse 9. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like, like pure wool. He is utterly pure, totally Righteous, utterly separate from, from sin, not even a stain of sin on his garments. He, his white hair perhaps is, symbolizes his total wisdom and knowledge. We're told his, his throne was, was fiery flames, its, its wheels were burning fire. Imagine it, his, his throne is on fire, its wheels are on fire, uh, it, it's a portable throne. Because God's rule is not confined to one uh, single space. He, he rules the whole world. Uh, and this, this image of fire uh, all through the Old Testament represents God's presence with his people. I uh, think of, of Moses at the burning bush. Or God coming, descending on Mount Sinai. Here is the holy, righteous God. He burns with holiness. So holy that he consumes all that he's not. And verse 10, we see what happens. A stream of fire issues and, and comes out uh, before him. This, this, this streams of fire symbolize his judgment. Come too close to this holy God and you will be consumed. A thousand thousand served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Here is the King of Kings, served by a multitude without number. And in verse 10, we're told why they gather. It's the judgment day. The court sat in judgment. The books were opened. God has all the evidence, all the facts are written right there. His judgment on that judgment day will be utterly fair, perfectly just. How terrifying to, to, to face the holy God on the judgment day without your sins forgiven. What a terrifying thought indeed. Here then is a, the eternal, holy, almighty God of the universe sitting on his throne, ready to judge. Well, the judgment is delivered very quickly in verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its, its body destroyed and given over to be burned uh, with fire. Uh, the fourth beast seemed quite terrifying, powerful, boastful, but it's, it's no match for the ancient of days. So swiftly killed, destroyed, burned. The other beasts... Or well, verse 12, they, they live on a bit longer, but their power is stripped away. And again, the main point is clear. As powerful as these beasts seem, they will all one day be destroyed. 
Now, there is only one kingdom that is eternal. Before the, the eternal, righteous, holy God, their end is certain. God will win. And it all comes to a climax in verse 13 with this, this vision of the Son of Man. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Uh, to, be the, uh, to be like a son of man just, just means that he's, he's a human being. Uh, but he's unlike all of the other beastly kingdoms that we've, that we've just seen. You see, uh, they were all likened to animals, like a lion, like a bear, uh, like a leopard. This one is like a human See, he's going to fulfill God's, God's intention for humanity from the beginning. Uh, we were made in the image of God to rule, and here is the perfect man, the perfect ruler, come to set everything right. But he's not simply human. He's, he's like a human, but he's also like God. Uh, do you notice he comes riding on the clouds of heaven? If you look in the Psalms, it is, it is God that rides on the clouds. Uh, in Exodus, uh, God leads his people with, with the pillar of cloud. Uh, at Sinai, the, the clouds cover the mountain as God meets with his people. He's, he's like a human being, but he's also like God. Here is a God-man, a divine human and he is given the rule of the eternal kingdom of God you see that verse 14 to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom here is God giving his very own kingdom to this divine man his, his rule is universal all peoples nations and languages should serve him. His rule is, is eternal. Uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Uh, here is God's, God's absolute, universal, eternal king. And here is a picture of absolute victory. The beast terrifying but Limited, temporary. This one, total rule forever. See, here is the hope for God's people. Here's the hope for Daniel and his friends. Yes, they, they need to face the beasts, but look to the end, and the victory is assured. God's king will win. And as the vision goes on, we discover that that means that his people will win too. We're at uh, point three now, the interpretation of the vision. Uh, in verse 15, Daniel considers the vision and he's, he's terrified. Don't blame him. It is a nightmare. But he wants to know the meaning. He, he asks for the interpretation. And in uh, verse 17, we get it first in summary format. We're told, verse 17... These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom 
and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Now, if you just tuned out, here's the main point, right? Here's the summary. Four beastly kingdoms will rise, but God will come as judge. God will win and give the kingdom to the saints. But I wonder if you noticed the shift that happened just then. Now look back to verse 13 and 14. Who is it that receives the kingdom? It's the Son of Man, isn't it? And who receives the kingdom here? The saints uh, receive the kingdom. How do they go together? Well, the, the Son of Man will share his victory with his people. When the Son of Man wins, his, his people will win too. And God will come on Judgment Day in decisive judgment. The beast will be destroyed. The Son of Man will be enthroned. And God's people will receive the kingdom. Uh, but Daniel is not satisfied with such a, a concise, brief answer like that. He's, he's still got a few more questions. And uh, especially about that little horn in the fourth beast. Uh, the rest of the chapter, Daniel asks more about this fourth beast in two cycles. Uh, first one, verse 19 to 22. He, he repeats much of what we've already seen. But there is one new thing there in verse 21. We read, as I looked, this horn, the little horn, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. See, this little horn will deliberately set himself against the people of God. And what's even more shocking is that he will prevail, he will win. Yes, the Son of Man will win in the end, but now, well, the beasts win. The people of God suffer. The horn prevails. But as before, notice verse 22. The Ancient of Days steps in. God comes as judge. And the saints receive the kingdom. Well, the same cycle again, verse 23 to 27. We, we, we see the fourth beast uh, a second time. And once again, much of the description is repeated, but there's more new information. Have a look, verse uh, 23. We learn that this, this fourth kingdom will devour the whole earth. It's going to set him... Set his sights on the whole world. And look what he's like, verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall uh, think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. This, uh, this final king will, will persecute the people of God brutally. He'll attempt to, to dethrone God, make himself God instead. He will, he will dictate who they worship, how they worship, uh, the laws by which they live. It's a direct affront to God and his people. And he'll do it for, for time, times, and half a time. Anyone good at maths? How long is that? Three and a half, isn't it? And... The number of perfection for God is, is seven. Three and a half is half of that. Probably denotes evil or persecution. Here is a long period of time, a limited period of time. But God's people are given into the hands of this, of this vicious horn 
who challenges God and persecutes his people. But once again, we're told in verse 26 and 27, it all comes to an end because God comes in decisive judgment and the saints receive the kingdom. Verse 26, But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms and the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall, shall serve and obey them. God comes, decisive judgment, the saints receive the kingdom, and God wins. Well, what do we make of this passage with all its beasts and horns and the rest? Well, it is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Uh, it's quoted in the, the New Testament no less than 58 times. Uh, you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to quote every one of them tonight. But here's the main point that the New Testament wants us to see. And that is that Jesus is the divine Son of Man promised here in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, do you remember what Jesus preached in, in Mark chapter 1? That the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe uh, in the gospel. Uh, Jesus preached. He says, remember that kingdom that Daniel promised, the kingdom of God? It's on the way. Because I, the king, the son of man, I'm here. Or do you remember Mark chapter 8? Uh, Peter recognizes he's the Christ. He, he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Deny yourself, take up your cross and, and follow me. And then he says, whoever is ashamed of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. See what Jesus says? Make, make sure you respond rightly to me. Because I'm that son of man from Daniel 7 who will one day come in, in glory as the king of the world and the judge. Think of his trial in, in Mark chapter 14. Uh, Jesus arrested by the religious leaders. They, they ask him, are you the Christ, the king? And Jesus answers, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Uh, it's unmistakable. Jesus is the divine Son of Man. His rule will be eternal. His rule will be over all nations. His rule will be absolute and unstoppable. And what the New Testament wants us to understand is, is that Jesus has already been enthroned as that King. See, uh, Jesus... As Jesus died on the cross, the crown of thorns was on his head. As he rose again, he, he said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus ascends to heaven, uh, to the throne of his Father. And as the disciples look on, he's taken on the clouds to heaven. And the angel says he'll one day come back in just the same way. Here's the point. Jesus is the Son of Man. 
And he's already received the kingdom. He's, he's at the right hand of God, ruling over all nations. And he will do so forever. And one day, he's going to come back. As, as we read in, in Revelation chapter 1, he'll come back as the judge. People, those who have rejected him, will wail because he will come as their judge and call them to account. Jesus is the king. How terrifying to face King Jesus without your sins forgiven. And so the time that we live in now is the time of the beast. Uh, in Revelation 13, uh, John has another vision of this world in which we live. And he once again sees a great beast coming out from the sea. It's a, it, it's, it's a hybrid beast, this time of uh, all the beasts of Daniel 7 mixed into one. It's, it's described like a leopard, like a bear, like a lion. It, it speaks blasphemous words. It makes war on the saints and conquers them. Uh, it's given all authority over all the world. And God wants us to see that's the world in which we live. The world of the beasts, a world opposed, uh, a world that is opposed to God, that persecutes His people. But do you remember how Revelation ends? It's just the same way as Daniel chapter seven, isn't it? Jesus returns as the judge. The beasts are destroyed, thrown into the lake of fire, and the saints receive the kingdom. Well, what do we learn from this passage this evening? Well, firstly, God is still in control. We shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes. Uh, sometimes we, we hear of the awful persecution that happens of, of Christians around the world, and it's easy to be disheartened. Uh, maybe all this talk tonight makes us a little bit afraid of what suffering we ourselves might have to face here in Malaysia in the years ahead. Uh, but, but we shouldn't be surprised. God has predicted it in advance. This is the world in which we live. Uh, nor should we be uh, afraid. God is in control. It, these evil empires, they're not above God. Uh, Jesus is still there at the right hand of God. And so secondly, we can take heart uh, because we know that, that God will win in the end. Uh, uh, even if it gets uh, as bad as it gets now, we know that, that one day God will come. The judgment day. And we will receive the kingdom. Evil will be overthrown. You see, when we, when we face persecution and we're we're tempted to give up on following Jesus. It's, it's just too hard. What will keep us going? It's remembering the big picture. Zooming out. Remember, you're on the winning side if you're with King Jesus. Because one day, he will defeat all evil. We will possess the kingdom with him. He sits right now on the throne of heaven. The message of Daniel 7 to us this evening is don't give up. Don't lose 
hope. It may get worse, but God will win. And we can be sure of it. I mean, Daniel could could look back to how God had saved him from the lion's den, how he'd saved his friends from the fiery furnace, how he'd humbled almighty King Nebuchadnezzar and, and judged Belshazzar. Of course, if God did that, the rest of the vision would come true. And so can we. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece and so on, they've all come and gone just as Daniel prophesied. The Son of Man has come and been enthroned just as Daniel prophesied. We too, like Daniel, can look back and see the great salvation that God has brought at the cross, Jesus' resurrection and ascension as King. And so just as Daniel prophesied, we can know for sure the rest will be true as well. The end will come. Evil will be punished. Jesus will win. And his people will receive the kingdom. And so as we wait for that glorious day, we persevere Come what may. We, we do not know what tomorrow will bring. But we know the one who sits on the throne of heaven. And we know that one glorious day he will return and bring us home to be with him. Are you on King Jesus' side this evening? There's no need to be afraid. And if you have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour this evening, then how terrifying to face him on the judgment day. It's not too late. Return to him as your king. You'll be on the winning side. He'll, He'll forgive all your sins through his death. And he'll share his 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 glorious kingdom with you. Will you turn to him this evening? Jesus is the king, and God's king, kingdom will triumph. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you as the Ancient of Days, the eternal, holy, righteous Lord of this world. That we praise you that, that all things are in your control. That you will one day judge all evil with perfect justice. We thank you that you do not turn a blind eye into the suffering of your people. And we thank you that Jesus is on the throne. We thank you for these visions like this to assure us that he will win in the end. And we thank you for the glorious hope we look forward to. And so, Father, keep us trusting in Jesus as our King. Persevere us in following him whatever happens and cause us to long for that day when he returns. And all evil is overthrown once and for all. And we worship you forever and ever and ever.
we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.